Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's episode is with my good friend, Dr. Nita Bouchon. She's released a book called That Sucked, Now What? And it is the magnus opus on moving through hard things in one's life. So if you've ever gone through some type of traumatic situation, a death in the family, a breakup, um, being laid off from work, anything that you feel like you have some welling up of anxiety or perhaps sensation of depression or any unemoted sensations within the body and mind, uh, Nita is my go-to person to uh, move through that stuff. And she created a book on how to do that. And I'm excited to break it down here. This is a actionable user's guide on how to move through hard things in life. I think if people had something like this early on, you know, in elementary school, middle school, I think it would be an invaluable tool. It's something that is lacking in Western culture. Um, having a deeper understanding of emotions, uh, feeling, and sensation, and moving through the hard ones in particular. So I think you guys can enjoy this conversation. I want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you for subscribing so you get each week's episodes. And uh, that is it. That is all. Let's get to it. Yeah, ISO record. It's all happening. Bam! Bam. Nita Bush! <laughs> Hello. Bouchon! That's right. Aaron, Aaron Alexander. Hello. We're here. We're here, man. I'm wiggling my toes. I'm, That's I'm how excited. excited I am. I know. I'm so excited for you, for us. All right. So Two I, July babies. I drew up some st- statistics right. this morning. Oh, wow. So the world seems to be lonely. Mm, yes. There seems to be a mental health epidemic. Mm, lots of that. There's uh, there's uh, uh, some stats from Cigna with 10,000 people uh, in 2019, which was before all the, like, the lockdown stuff, uh, that showed 58% of Americans often felt like no one in their life knew them well, mm. which that's like, you like sit with that. It's like, oh, that's, that's, that, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, lonely people are 50% more likely to die prematurely. It's compared to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. It's akin to uh, obesity or drinking alcohol or not exercising. Uh, a third of Americans, based off of some stats from Kaiser, are report experiencing depression or anxiety. Like that, that yep. um, I think it was that year. I don't actually, I didn't write down when it was, but it's happening. It's happening. Um, and I think that's something that me as a fella, mm. um, and probably just people as humans, um, but I can speak to me as a man. Um, I think it, it can be challenging to communicate and voice those sensations because I think there can be a perhaps a fear of non-acceptance mm-hmm. and a fear of being perceived as weak. And then instead of actually voicing and processing and communicating, um, we just go in and we perpetuate this loneliness cycle. And then it's... Uh, yeah, it's a, rough people spot. Away. it's a rough spot. It is a rough spot to be. And sometimes it sucks. <laughs> and what do you do? And now what? What do you think about all that? Yeah, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, the stats are, they're jarring. And I think there's another study from, you know, the NIH that said young people, you know, between the ages of 18 to 25, and don't quote me on this, but it's it's upwards of like 30% of loneliness, depression, anxiety. Mm. And 
you know, when you hear all these stats, and now I'm a mom of two, mm. but I starting out in my loneliest times, I when I was going through a lot of my painful losses, there is there's two things that t- you know happen to us. Either we go and be alone, or we have these you know coping mechanisms. And that become distractions. They become distractions so that we can actually be in the world. But growing up, we don't necessarily have a lot of these tools. And especially as a man, it's so frowned upon. And, mm-hmm. you know, society kind of it, it shuns, shuns you out as, as a man. And even me growing up, like I was just thinking of you when you were saying that, imagining you as a young boy, and I don't know if this was your experience, but I know this was, I had two younger brothers growing up. I was the oldest of three and, you know, we had immigrant parents. My mom was from the Philippines. My dad was from India. And so even in those lineages, this processing emotions and being with our uncomfortable emotions, that was definitely not a thing. Mm. And so my, I remember so vividly the one time, like my dad was like, I'll give you something to cry about. And because in our house at that time, I was about 10 years old. My mom was just diagnosed with cancer and, and breast cancer. And, you know, most of my upbringing was chaotic. It was lots of visits to the hospital rooms, lots of visits to seeing my mom kind of go through this in and out of hospital. Um, and so in my adolescence, as a teenager, as a preteen, we would go and visit her. We would go and and I'd have to perform and show up. And my performing came from this idea that I, okay, I have to pacify the family and nobody can feel the sorrow and this grief that's kind of happening behind the scenes because, well, the cancer had spread then to her lungs and then it spread to her brain. And then a year after my mom died we had this like sudden world shocking news that my brother who was coming out of his high school as a sophomore 15 years old I was a senior at this time in Chicago he has an asthma attack he wasn't an athlete he played chess because you know we're brown but he has an asthma attack. He had his inhaler, but apparently it didn't work that day. And they tried to revive him three times in the ambulance and uh, he didn't, he, he, they, he transitioned immediately. And this was almost to the year later that my mom died. And so to have all these like swarming emotions of loss and grief and sadness and despair and loneliness because no one's gonna really relate to us being you know teenagers i was the oldest of my then younger brother who was about 12 at the time and my dad just losing you know we're, we just lost two members of our family within a year and so um and and that's just going through these big t traumas but just in general the epidemic of loneliness the epidemic of now, you know, mental health stats having gone up and skyrocketed so much. It it's that's it's what people say. It's it's and I what I what I talk about in the book, it's a silent epidemic. Mm. Yeah, mm. I didn't I didn't know that about you. Mm. And it was really interesting reading and I'm like, oh man, like I I really love and value Nita and I didn't 
know any of that stuff. Mm. I think that's an interesting thing as well, what we don't know about each other because I think we just don't ask. We don't ask. Yeah. Yeah. We just meet each other where we're at. Mm. Yeah. And so that's, and I think that's a part of the whole, whatever it was, 58% of people feel like no one really truly knows them. And within that, I wonder how much a person is able to get to know you. I, I imagine it's reciprocal to the level that you know yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. To even allow people in yeah. to know some of these big things that happen. And, and you know, and I, I think even growing up during that time, because, you know, that's not even the end of it. Two years after my, you know, my brother died, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So, you know, I'm losing three members of my immediate family all in my adolescence. Like, Do you have any other siblings? I have my younger brother, yeah. Wow. And so it was just- And then you were kind of taking care of him. I was taking care of him. We had, so I was 19, he was 14, going to high school. And so the image that you painted when we started the episode, I was thinking about my brother. Mm. And it was interesting because during that time, we had, I mean, you know, social workers and, you know, all these people, asking and so worried about him, about me, about us. And it was like, we're kind of forced to do therapy and all of these different modalities. And it wasn't what we would obviously, you know, look into, but it was almost like they were checking the box mm -hmm. because with so much trauma, people are worried, Hey, are you going to do something to yourself? But it was we actually needed the emotional support. And I wouldn't learn any of those tools until about, you know, 12 years later. Mm. And, um, but thinking how lonely he must have felt because when we're young, we just want to fit in. I remember being 19 years old and, you know, having lost my dad and having felt shame and guilt for even wanting to go out to the movies and, you know, scope out the, you know, people at the mall just to do fun things with friends because I felt like, oh, I have to be grieving all the time. Mm. Or I didn't want to open myself to other people because I didn't know if I was going to be judged. And I think this is the sentiment that we're talking about because we're not given these tools as a young person. And I remember to this day, you know, um, even my brother's experience he there there was only like a few people that he really you know shared with and i had gone on a trip to i studied abroad in italy the year after and i talk about it in the book because there's so many nuances around asking your immigrant family members my grandmother um and my aunt i begged them i'm like i just need to leave i need to leave because it has been so dark and so horrific for a really long time and i remember they finally said yes hesitantly but i remember getting off the plane in rome and i remember for the very very first time i'm in this new environment don't speak italian with other you know students from around the world and there goes that question hey Tell us about yourself. You know how you go around in circles and you're with the teacher and we're, we're doing like Italian philosophy because that's what you do. And, um, and it's like sweltering heat in the summer in Rome. And we're 
all going around and we're all introducing ourselves. And I remember being having like such a panic attack. So I'm like, oh no, I don't want to share about my family. I don't want to share. I don't want to be the one that people like feel bad for or pity. And because I didn't know how they were going to react. I didn't want to be that person that had this big story. So there in that moment, I just decided that I was only going to share just a little bit. Hi. Yeah. I'm Nitha. I'm from Chicago. I go to Loyola. And that was it. But it was because of all of this, these other unprocessed emotions that I felt didn't really fit in the status quo of how to belong as a 20 year old doing, you know, in school. Mm. And that would set up, you know, this trajectory of picking different types of people to be my partners in my love relationships. I mean, my coping mechanism was definitely working hard, overworking, overachieving, and all of those things for sure. Um, in, in a sense of escapism because those feelings were so big to unravel and process. So much so that in my love relationships, I would choose men that were emotionally unavailable. Mm. Safer. Safe. There's, you know they're not going to open up. Nope. So I don't really have to. I don't have to burden them. Would you blame them? Or would you like oh, point? Oh, yeah. I would like, point. You're the problem. Oh, yeah. And and they would, you know, some of these relationships did get abusive. And 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 there was, you know, where it's it's both. It's both blaming each other. <laughs> right. and, and both, you know, the wounding is coming up. Obviously, I didn't have those tools back then. But things had to get so bad for me to actually say, oh, whoa, here's this really big toxic relationship where in many ways I wanted Prince Charming to come and save me. Yeah. And, but what I really needed was to save myself. And so that day came, that came on December 31st, 2011, when I was actually, I had already gotten married. I was a cosmetic dentist at the time. And I remember being in my, you know, home that, you know, we had purchased uh, with my ex-husband and I had built this life on the outside fully that, you know, it was just, it was, it was amazing. It was, we had all of the bells and whistles and I felt like, wow, my parents would be proud that like I did all of these things, but it was such a facade because what I was really feeling, I was not even 30. I had this amazing practice, a dental practice, I had doctors working for me, had a whole team and, but what I was really dealing with was, oh my gosh, people are going to find out I'm such a fraud. Like I've been lying to everybody because I am not happy. I didn't even know what depression was because one of my biggest coping mechanisms was toxic positivity mm-hmm. and being like overly enthusiastic and overly joyous. No, I mean, that's who I am at my core. But because the opposite of that was so painful and it was so dark and it was so deep to go back into that I just wanted to be normal. Mm. But that normalcy in my head literally followed me for the next decade into patterning in my relationships. So much so that I would attract a partner that would be toxic and violent and abusive in all the ways. And it would just bring up the ugliness in both of us. And, you know, I had to make a choice. I had to be brave. I had to be courageous and literally step out of that situation 
fully. It was very dramatic. I'm not going to get into the details of it because it's not relevant. But it was then where I finally said, oh, wow, I need help. Mm. And that was the breaking point. That was the place where I said, okay, I'm letting people in for the very first time versus trying to pacify them, trying to see how I can support them. It was like, no, I actually need the help. And those, I need help, those three big words are huge. And, you know, when I've gone into even the research uh, in, in this book and some of my other books, but specifically this one, that sucked, now what? To be able to say those three words, it takes bravery. It takes courage. And I think in our society, especially if we're high achievers or if we have ambitions, if we um, had different styles of coping mechanism like busyness or workaholic or, you know, take your, your pick. There's, of course, other ones as well. But that was, from my experience, what I was so used to doing. Um, then we get into a place where we have to say, oh, wow, I, I'm not doing okay. Mm. I need support. And that began this journey of, you know, seven years of diving into all things, you know, from psychedelics to plant medicine to, um, you know, different somatic experiences, energy work, um, regular talk therapy, EMDR. I mean, you name it, yoga, meditation, when went back into the lineage of, of India where my dad's from and really then started to dive into a lot of the ancient practices that I grew up with, but I was rebellious. I was such a rebel when I was, you know, that time of my life, that inner teenager in me just did not even want to accept that was even part of my upbringing. Yeah. There's a analogy that I heard from Aubrey Marcus, who Mm -hmm. you you know, Aubrey, right? Um, he, and sometimes he has like some wise things to, to share. I think he got this from somebody else. Um, but it stood out and I was like, that is, that is freaking good. Um, but the, the analogy was that the, the ego, if misaligned needs to be broken and reset much like a doctor resetting a bone. Totally. And if you don't actually, if you have some trauma to the, to the emotional body, just like the physical body. And then you just kind of like, you're like, okay, let's just kind of callous over, pretend that didn't happen. And we're just going to keep on marching on. Mm-hmm. Like you will heal, but it's going to heal in kind of like a scar tissue maligned type way. And then you're just going to keep on marching on and it's going to start to spill out into the rest of the body and the mind and relationships, et cetera. And the, the deeper emotional body, um, you know, this gets into like work from Bessel van der Kalk or Peter Levine or people of sort. It's craving to be healed. Like we, we inherently crave healing. Like that's the, what keeps us going. We're all like, we're healing right now. Yeah. You know, skin tissue and all the things. Um, and you will recapitulate past traumatic events in your present day life as an opportunity actually to be broken and, and reset. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that functions as a as a oh it's as a, an analogy oh it's a perfect analogy it's a perfect analogy because I think for so many of us when we go through some of our deep dark pains whether it's through the loss of a loved one or a breakup or a betrayal or a financial woe that didn't go our way or or any of these 
big T, little t traumas that can accumulate then if we're not, and what we resist then persists. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, even in the, the trajectory of my story, I needed to actually then take responsibility and personal responsibility. And it's one of the pillars that I talk about in the book, you know, in that suck now what, on how we actually can bounce back. Because I think our society and what we're actually taught of traditional resiliency is this mental toughness. And that's what social psychologists have said. This is resiliency is your mental toughness. And, you know, I talk a lot about grit and resilience in my work. And it was interesting when I first started speaking on the topic, there was a group of moms. I wasn't even a mom yet. And I had just sold my, my ex exited my dental practice, but these moms were in Silicon Valley and they were in this part of Palo Alto and they invited me to come and share and speak because they had heard, you know, my story. And it was interesting because like, what, why, why am I getting invited here? But I said, okay, great. They said, I just need to know and we need to know, is there a way that you can build resilience without having to go through really tough losses just like what you went through in your teen years, because we are all moms of teenagers that go to this prestigious high school in that part of the country. And we had just lost three people to suicide that year. And so that then opened my eyes to, oh, wow, this is just way bigger than, you know, the, than, than anything that I had ever imagined this work to be. And I was, so I became so fascinated and curious about human dynamics and interpersonal dynamics and resiliency in general. And to see how when young people, especially people in that sort of environment, when we're actually trying to bounce back from hard things, well, what is our tendency to actually bounce back? And is there a barometer? Well, it's why I talk about, you know, there's this concept that I talk about in the book called the bounce factor where there's four parts where the first part is really reconciling with your upbringing. Mm -hmm. And if we look at, you know, this particular group of moms in this particular area, well, their kids are, you know, you have things on a silver platter. Were you a helicopter mom? Are you saving Johnny and Junior from taking the test on Friday because you have to go to, you know, Aspen for work? And, you know, very privileged society, of course, right? That I'm talking, that I was talking about versus someone who had to actually grow up on the streets. They had hard knocks or maybe they were a latchkey kid. What are the resiliencies and how would they actually grow up differently? Well, we have to look into our upbringing and adding in some of the nuances like cultural factors. Did your parents, you know, leave a country? Um, what were some of the things taught versus, you know, the 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 women and the the boys in the family? Because I know, you know, for myself. There were certain things that were allowed at the dinner table, but definitely talking back to your elders was definitely not one of them, right? Speaking your mind, definitely not one of them. You know, elders was was everything, right? Having reverence and respect at the highest level. But there are certain families who actually encourage this voice and opinion and 
confidence super early on well how are they going to then rise when when tough things happen I want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors for disease and much more. The Life Force Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a Life Force functional medicine doctor and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions and uh, it was probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and I swear to God, um, I, since starting these guys, I feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad, but it truly made a massive difference. My word recall, my energy levels, my libido um, has has significantly shifted since starting. So I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E dot com. And then use Align code at checkout for 15% off. And that is a very meaningful 15% off as well. So I can't recommend it enough. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey. Jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the Align code for 15% off. So when a person, so something that I've experienced a pretty significant amount in my, my life is uh, occasional moments of feeling like almost like overwhelming anxiety mm. uh, and feeling like I'm like, oh, I think I'm, well, I've had panic attacks. That was a while ago. I think it was because I was eating too much honey. I think there was like a blood sugar. Yeah. I was getting into it. I was like just eating heaps of raw butter and honey and putting it on nuts. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> it was messing me up. <laughs> <laughs> but out, honey aside, um, I've had, you know, many moments, even recently where I feel like, um, yeah, like a, like a, 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 just this, this deep kind of like aimless anxiety type sensation, not knowing what to do with it exactly and wanting to like get rid of it, you know? And, and, and so I, I wonder within that, I don't think, you know, getting rid of it isn't, isn't the, the, the best approach. It's more like, you know, perhaps leaning into it, listening to it, um, observing what it's suggesting to you mm -hmm. you know the body doesn't speak a particular language right. you know in the form of like words but it speaks in feeling and mm -hmm. sensation um and actions as well drives actions driven by emotions and feelings um so if a person is in that situation i imagine there's probably people listen to it 
presently that are, are in that situation where perhaps they feel quite lonely. They feel like in a place of despair. They feel maybe maybe not overwhelmed with anxiety, maybe overwhelmed with anxiety. Um, what's the the heuristics of being able to effectively move through that and process that and actually do the quote unquote work that I think the, the, the deeper self is attempting to mm-hmm. to manifest? Like how do we how do we actually lean in and heal those sensations that are emerging as opposed to just uh, masking them? Oh yes. So as we were kind of you know just talking about the the four pillars of your building your bounce factor in in kind of if, if anybody is just listening to this right now thinking like oh wow what do I do with this overwhelming anxiety. Well, there's a tool that I talk about in the book called Embrace the Suck. First, we have to embrace it because most of the time, if our patterning has always been that we are just going to, we have a mental thought, we're having an anxious thought, we have this thing that's ruminating that we've been ruminating on in our minds, the first thing that we want to do is, well, we want to feel better. So what would you typically do? Okay, well... Typically, pick up your phone, start scrolling, get on IG, start scrolling or, you know, doing some work, checking your email. These are all ways to escape, right? We all we all know that. But drugs, sex. Drugs, sex, alcohol, all the things, right? Um, shopping. I mean, these are these are all amazing things. To or do. just collapsing into self-loathing. Yeah, victimization. Mm-hmm. Right? Why me? Mm-hmm. The pity party of one that I talk about. Um, and these are, these are there and it's easy because our brain sees that it's been part of ourselves and it's been comfortable for a very, very long time. But what if, okay, when that thought is coming, what if instead we actually embrace the suck? So that would be the first step. Well, how do I do that? Okay. Well, you want to sit and when you're feeling that overwhelming angst, where are you noticing it in the body? Like when you actually take a breath and the easiest, you know, form that you could do this with is actually taking your hand, putting it over your heart, because what you're doing is you're drawing attention now, the mind body connection, you're bringing it back from your mind that's ruminating, that's thinking thoughts. And you're actually saying, okay, I got you. Now, what is this really about? Okay. And we can take a moment before we react. We can take a moment before we pick up our phone to distract because all we want to do is distract ourselves. We numb ourselves. We bury it. We shove it under a rug. We shove it in a you know, back closet. And we don't want to look at that because it is too painful. But instead, let's do the opposite. Or I'd invite you to do the opposite, putting our hand over our heart, noticing where are you breathing? Am I breathing shallow right now? And chances are you probably are. But are where you actually noticing that pit in your stomach or the fact that maybe your shoulders were tensing up or the fact that if you were feeling rageful, maybe you were clenching your jaw or the fact that maybe you're starting to feel tension headaches because you're starting to ruminate in that suck. But bring forth that presence. All it takes is three seconds to bring forth that presence and then take a breath, bring oxygen into your body. And then afterwards, kind of see, okay, where am I actually feeling this? And notice, am I judging myself for feeling this way? 
Am I judging myself for feeling jealous? Am I judging myself for fearing, feeling angry? Am I judging myself? Because most of the time it's in our minds. And then you want to articulate it and say it out loud. I'm actually feeling anxious right now. Most of the time, because it's ruminating in our minds, we're just thinking of, it's like thinking of all of the things that we have to do. Oh my gosh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Or all the things that didn't happen. Or I could have said this. I could have done this to save that. Well, it didn't happen. That's why, you know, the mantra that I always give to people is, well, that sucked. Now what? Have a mantra. Have an anchor. When we have an anchor, we're actually starting to even activate our vagus nerve. And you know a lot of work about the vagus nerve. And for those just listening, when we're activating our vagus nerve, what are we actually doing? Well, we're activating our rest and digest, our parasympathetic, our nervous system. We're calming it down. And that's why in ancient traditions, many times people will start chanting OM or start singing or start even screaming. And I do this practice even, there's a... There's a tool in the book where the first step is to embrace the suck, where you're doing these breathing exercises to get you in your body. But the second step is, all right, let's have an anchor. Say your feelings, say it out loud. Mm. And many times all we need is that pressure cooker release because we're building up all that tension inside our body. It's we odd how that works. By, by stating the thing, it really, it like softens it in a way. That's something I, I just started proper therapy. Good. Where I'm like, we're doing, I've done some therapy, you know, but we're more just talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's been a, started working with a, a person where it's much more somatically based. And so I'm just like ugly face crying for 70% of every session. Oh, so good. It's great. It's so good. And that's one of the things that, that's I've done with, with, uh, my, my guy is, um, he'll have me like just state out loud these terrible things. Yeah. You know, and, and, and not just from the mind, but from the body. So there's a difference as well with, with the stating the story, you could state the story, sure. but there's like the, the, the listening part of what are the deepest fears actually in the body and by facing them typically, you know, it's like, it's like looking under the bed. You're like, Oh my God, this wasn't, this isn't that bad. Like, it wasn't that bad. At all. Right. Right. And we've been holding it. We've been holding it in different parts of our ourselves. And I think it's so underrated when we're actually giving voice to those feelings mm-hmm. to actually say it out loud and state it out loud. And you just said the one thing that we're so afraid of is allowing ourselves to emote, allowing ourselves to ugly face cry. Mm. Once you crack it, though, it don't stop. It don't. St- it's, like a, <laughs> it's like a faucet. It's like running water. I mean, it's, it's literally it, it's literally what happened for, for myself December 31st. That faucet was fully turned on and and then could not stop. Mm. And that was like a decade's worth of just fully releasing. And, you know, I think that as women, we've been able to do this with our girlfriends. Okay, I'm just gonna have an ugly cry. We have that, but I think, you know, for for men, it's not that allowed, happened. right? It's what women allowed. do, women are like, we're gonna have an ugly cry? We're gonna have, a, oh yeah. I've, wow. I've got, I have girlfriends where I can say, I just need an ugly cry right now. Wow. Yeah, but but to get there, <laughs> I know, I know. We're uh, maybe Aaron, you can you can start this movement, the ugly cry for men. I'm here for it. I, I 
I can so see you doing that. I think, yeah, I'm the spearhead of this thing. I, I think it's happening. You're, you're going to do it's it. It's written into the books. <laughs> this is part of the healing. Because here's the thing. I, oh my gosh. And you've met my son. You've you've played with Ari. You've yeah. twi- twirled him and twisted him around. I have more in common with your son than most people. It's very true. Yeah. You, you climb up a tree with him. It's the cutest thing. Yes. Twirl him around. He loves you. Very nice. Uncle Aaron. Yeah. Um, and so, but I learned so much from that kid when he turned to because it was like wow i'm finally getting to reparent myself in in all the ways because if you've ever mm. you don't even have to have children to do this or just have Aaron around you all the time but you all you need is to see and pay attention to a toddler a toddler has no zero inhibitions they are not trying to pacify or placate anybody with their emotions they do not care because they don't have their frontal cortex is not formed until 25. So this is, they don't have any sort of emotional regulation, none of it. And so, you well, that s- is emotional regulation. Well, to, well, correct. Yes, that is the full body, the, the full body, you know, heaves, the crying, the wailing, the panting, the moving, the shaking. Yep. Now, in order for us to do that, we go to a he- somatic healing retreat <laughs> to do all that, but it's true. Yep. But to actually see the full regulation of emotions, spend time with a two-year-old. Spend time with an 18-month-old. My, my daughter is like 19 months old now, and now she's starting to get into this full processing. Who dims it down for them? We do as parents. We do as adults. We do as aunt and uncles. We do as, you know, my, 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 the kid's grandmother is in town right now and she cannot handle the bigness of their emotions. So she'll do this thing. She'll, shh, 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 shh. Okay, I'll give you the cookie. I'll give you the iPad. I'll give you whatever you want. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is where it comes from. So it's like full circle healing journey every single day. But this started happening when he was around 18 months old and, you know, it's the beautiful, most beautiful depiction of how we can begin healing. And that's when I decided that I said, I, I need to really focus in on our emotional healing patterns because then there was so much that came up, even with my partner and I, in terms of where is it that we're still judging our own emotions and we're still judging how we show up. Because there was a point where I used to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm crying right now. I would apologize to placate the other person so that they didn't have to feel awkward in that environment of receiving me in my messiness. Mm. And I think, you know, to your point, we've as women been able to kind of gather that for ourselves, but I think it's a different conversation altogether for men. And it it only began to happen even with in our dynamic, my husband and I, Ajit and I, when we started to have children. Mm. I feel like there's a balance in this of, I think there is something to maybe people coming too soft, you know, and not enough structure and not enough go and not enough, you know, all right, yes. And like, let's get this shit done. (laughs) Like, like, yes, like, I love your emotions. I love your little boy. I love your little girl, you know, and I think there, there's also a direction where a person can just get consumed by yeah what is wrong and what is my trauma and i'm just going to keep on burying and it's like wow like like the mind is very powerful and you know a a a memory Mm -hmm. can shift in in a minute a year 10 years 
And you can start to develop a whole story about who you think you are based off of this lens of, of victimhood. Oh, yes. So victimhood is, is addicting. Oh, yeah. It's addicting to our ego. It's addicting to having ourselves be seen by other people. Right. It can be a tool. It's a tool. Oh, it seems like people care about me if I'm sad. If I'm constantly okay, got sad. It. Okay, so what's behind that? Oh, okay, I want to be seen. Or maybe I want to feel connected. But now I'm using this perhaps the way it's the the act itself isn't toxic, but the but what's behind it is still a, a compensatory pattern, but it's it's like accepted within the circles of like, oh wow, they're doing the work. And I think that there's and that's like that's not to, you know, I, I think you know, a person hopefully feels um, safe to feel anything that they're feeling. But I think that this, it can get messy in a way. Oh, absolutely. Which is why, I mean, there's, you know, I have different emotional release practices in the book. So there's one where it's instantaneous when we're actually having the urge to feel a feeling that has come up. Either we get an email from a boss. I mean, this is like real time, right? You get a text message from a friend, you get a breakup from a friend, you get, or, or somebody that you're in relationship with you have this urge immediately to do the thing that you don't want to do. And it's human to have that. Yet, what do you do in the moment? Okay, well, we're going to process it. We're going to breathe. We're going to put our hand over our heart. We're going to anchor it. We're going to say our feeling out loud. And we're going to try to integrate it at the spot. So that whole process is about five minutes. I have other processes and tools in the book. And even um, when you actually go get the book, you get the 44 page guidebook for free, which actually goes through, you know, five to 10 different prompts in ways where we can actually go to the underbelly of what's really beneath all of the things that we kind of put on as masks, either for ourselves to connect, to feel, to be seen, to be heard. But what, what is still lingering there that needs us to actually still process? So that's all in that guidebook. But for most people to not sit and ruminate and get stuck in the suck, there is a way to actually, what I talk about in part three of the book, to fly forward. But the first way in order to fly forward is to, you know, step two of that is first we have a fall. We have something that didn't go right. It, you know, caused us shame. It caused us guilt. It was world shattering in that moment. You have a fall. But the second step is, am I going to stay there or am I going to choose something else? Because what we were just sharing where we're getting addicted to this, we're being seen by this, this perpetuating sense of this fire that's flaming and keeps growing. Oh, okay. We're going to, we like that, but that same thing is going to start happening and, and it'll start you know, showing up in different ways, in different people, in different circumstances, in different situations. But if we say yes to the ignition, which is step two, the ignition to ignite, to actually make a choice different than you normally would, to instead of act on um, someone else, you know, slighting you so you feel like you want to blow up their phone and text them back and get really angry, why don't you sit with those emotions first and Go ahead and breathe. Go ahead and cry. Go ahead, but set a timer. And I always say, we want to set a timer. I set a timer for my kids. You can be in this emotion for two minutes. I set a timer for myself. I tell my clients and students, we have timers. And 
and and I think that it's so important to allow ourselves but not get stuck in that because that's the ignition where if we're going to choose something different, then we get into a place of rising. And in a place of rising, we're actually then able to notice okay, I don't feel confident in this area of, of processing my emotion. I don't feel confident that I'm actually sitting with this and it's so weird and it's so big right now, but I'm actually going to go get support, whether it's a therapist, coach, you know, healers, somebody else to talk to, somebody else that you trust to even just articulate the words, I need help, I need support, I can't do this alone. And that's where, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, us leaning into vulnerability and going back to that quote that you said or the statistics that you shared in the beginning, 58 people feel, 58% of people feel that they're, they're lonely because nobody knows them deep enough. Well, the only way that we can start doing that, and I learned this from my hard knocks of growing up, I had to share some of these painful things and not be afraid that I was going to be judged, not be afraid that I wasn't going to be accepted. But that was my own work that I had to actually take responsibility for. And that personal responsibility is hard because it has to make amends with the ego as well because the ego just wants to protect us. And this is like the greatest gift that we have in our interpersonal relationships. If we want somebody to be honest, then we have to be honest. We have to go first. Some of us didn't grow up with that. So then we have to then allow other people who perhaps are representations of that and seeing that to say, oh yeah, I want to infuse some of that in me. And same thing goes for, okay, vulnerability. If I want to get to know others at a deeper level, well, then I have to go first and share. Because then what we're doing is we're just allowing that bridge to be had. And most of the time we think, oh, you know, that person and we're, you know, we're blaming and, and, you know, it's the blame game and we're so hurt. But what if we start to open ourselves up in a very different way? to just go first and that is hard to do what's up guys i want to share one of my favorite tools in my fridge for clean energy and cognitive clarity that is ketone iq if you've ever tried fasting you may have experienced that sensation of almost euphoric clarity that you get around like day two or day three It's like you tap into some second well of energy that feels much more clear than caffeine, and that is your body starting to produce endogenous ketones. There is a way that we can quote unquote hack that by drinking exogenous ketones, and I've tried a bunch of different brands, and they taste typically like some form of gasoline mixed with something else terrible, and Ketone IQ, I actually like the taste of it, which is great. Uh, I think it is definitely worthwhile for any person that runs, any person that may Maybe is doing some type of weight loss type scenario. It also reduces appetite. The stuff feels borderline like magic. I'm not embellishing. I think once you try it, you'll be pretty impressed. Uh, they also have money back guarantee, and you can try it for yourself by going over to hvmn.com slash align, and you will get 20% off. So you use the promo code align for 20% off. The URL is hvmn.com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. Check it out. I think you guys are going to think it is pretty impressive and look forward to hearing about it. 
want to take a moment to share about something I believe every person ought to try at some point in their life to better their metabolic health and understand how different foods affect their blood sugar. I've been using Levels for the last month and a half or so, and it's been a game changer for me in understanding how my food affects my health. Levels helps you see how food affects your health by giving you real-time feedback on your diet using a continuous glucose monitor. Poor glucose control is associated with a number of chronic conditions, not just diabetes, but also Alzheimer's, heart disease, stroke, and more. It also affects your day-to-day energy levels, ability to control weight, and even sexual function. I started tracking my glucose in order to learn more about what I should and shouldn't be eating based on my own personal physiology. When I started as a Levels member, I thought I understood my metabolic health pretty well. But through the process of being able to continually monitor my blood glucose, I made some shifts in my diet, also the timing of when I was eating, before training, after training, before bed, and it made a really big difference. Uh, right now, Levels is offering my listeners an additional two free months of the Levels membership when you use my link, which is levels.link slash align. That's L-E-V-E-L-S dot link slash align. Your first purchase will include one month supply of continuous glucose monitors and a 12 month software membership. And again, if you go to levels.link slash align, Levels is offering an additional two free months of their annual membership. They also have a very well-researched in-depth blog that I recommend checking out if you're just looking to learn more about topics like metabolic health, longevity, and nutrition. I think where it can be challenging is a person can only be honest to the to the, the degree that they've been vulnerable enough or pro- perhaps had like a guide. I feel like for, for me, I really needed a I needed professional help, which that's the and, and forever in my life, I've always been like, no, like I'm I'm the teacher. I'm the coach. Right. I can freaking do it. I got all the friends, you know, I could do it myself. Yeah. Or I'll just ask a friend. But that's very different than actually a a a paid for container of okay, this is this is just about me. I'm exchanging money, giving this to you. Like this is I'm here. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's like a unspoken reciprocity yeah. in talking to your talking to your buddies. And then also there's another thing I think particularly with with men. I think women do a better job of, of this from what I can see, but there's other statistics about this of, of, of how people in general, but particularly men mm-hmm. just have much less male friends to lean on. Yeah. It was like, I don't remember what it was. Like it was, it was in, compared to the 1990 to, I think like 2020, uh, very few men, uh, claim to have at least six friends. Mm, wow. It's like, Oh, I've got a, you know, a buddy, I got a couple of buddies, I got my work friends, but we don't really connect. I hear right. that from a lot of people. Right. I was talking to a guy in the sauna yesterday. He's like, Oh, I'm like a construction worker, but I, you know, I'm into all of this stuff, mm. but all of the people I'm around, they have all of their own kind of like masks and compensations and they're kind of like tough guy. Yep. Do, do you think though, because you are, you're so inquisitive and you know, you're, you're all about just kind of bringing this all out do you think that even the guy in the sauna yesterday mm. would you be able to now knowing what you know and and obviously we're having this big conversation around even our emotional health would you have been able to then go first and share your your vulnerabilities with the guy in the sauna to make that connection very easily but that's because i'm like in the thick of it yeah but still i only know what i've been exposed to through for myself seeking professional help 
And that's where it feels, it can feel maybe almost like alienating in a way. And I'm resistant towards things that, that be like, you have to pay money in order to, to sort something out. I'm like, what is, is there a way mm. to just, cause I think like there's like a darkness retreat could be an odd thing that a person could do. I just did one of those a, a few months ago. That was like, what is that? You just, just sit in a dark room for uh, okay. like okay. a while. Okay. Wow. Like multiple days. Wow. Yeah. And then they have, you know, there's a person, they like bring you food each day in the dark. And they have like a little, little cubicle and drop the food in there for the day. Um, that's an interesting thing where you're just, you, you, you strip yourself of distractions of all the senses. So all you have is your, is yourself. Mm -hmm. So your anxieties and your depressions and your fears and your guilt and your joy and your love and all of that, it just comes to the surface. And in that experience, a lot of the things that I've intellectually read about, um, over the years, they start to actually come up. I'm like, aha, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of non-attachment. The sensation of joy that I have in this in this moment where I have access to nothing other than just myself mm. is absolutely fleeting. Right. And in that moment, I can be like, ah, oh, we're getting the joy, ecstasy. And you're like, you know, you're going to be just sobbing in 40 minutes, you know, or yelling or screaming or, you know, feeling like you're going to have a panic attack or, and then you're like, oh, here we are. Now we're in this. And then two hours later, there's a sensation of complete ease. Yeah. You know, so that's like, oh, interesting. Like, is there anything that I can hold on to in here? <laughs> well, and, and I think you're such a, you're, you're beautiful guinea pig in that way where you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to just dive in. And I think for so many of the listeners and people watching and listening, if you're curious about building these connections and we share the stats and you know, if if you can think of on one hand, how many people are you actually close to like that, you know, starting, you know, this episode that maybe they're that maybe they're they're two people that really know you deeply. Mm -hmm. They really know your quirks and not talking about your partners or the people that you're with, but maybe they're they're friends mm -hmm. and. And it doesn't even have to be that person that you went to high school with or the grade school with, because let's be honest, how often are you actually talking to them? Because I know that when people are really gauging their friendship, some people are like, oh yeah, I still talk to my friend once a year. And I'll hear this from males that, okay, this is this is how they keep friendships or they only talk to them once a year. If this is something interesting to you that you're kind of like, all right, well, I want to actually build these male connections. Well, why don't you first, let's make, you know, let's do an analysis. And I like to call this, it's a POC. It's a, it's a tool. It's also in the book, but it's a POC. It's your personal observation check-in, you know, write down or make a list of all of the, the emotions that you kind of feel either detached to or you weird expressing crying is a big one for males you know feeling vulnerable um and 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 maybe even just you know whatever those top emotions come up but actually assess well when was the last time you experienced that emotion safely and who are you actually with and then the second column to that is if you are wanting to build these friendships, well, maybe make a list of the top two or three people that you want to get to know. 
maybe they're online, maybe maybe they're, you know, they're they're in your neighborhood, maybe you you know, play tennis or do other sports or go to the gym uh, together, or maybe you see them at the gym and maybe you can actually go first and elicit that. I mean, what do you think about that? Aaron? Yeah. And, and I feel like it's really important for me when I, I can get into holes and something that can be very helpful is just like forcing myself to go to a yoga class or go to like a community for me, like the thing that is typically easiest for me is like some kind of fitness related thing. Right. So I'll do some type of community workout or you know, like yoga is a really easy one. Um, another but here's the thing. Would you actually then ask, you know, if, if there's other, you know, guys that you want to connect with, would you then ask them to? Yeah, not, I mean, out? not yes, sometimes, but you're at least like fishing. Right. Like you don't catch fish without putting your pole in the water. Sure. And so I think that that's that's something I don't know if that's the best analogy. It's a little maybe a little little much. Um, it's a good one. But I think that that's that's the thing is it's I think it's easy. It can be easy for me to be like okay, and like a lot of people are they live alone. Like I live alone, mm. and it's very easy to be like okay, there's no community. I don't know of any like community party events. I have this idea or story that everybody has this really illustrious social life they're all doing amazing things i see all of the highlights on the gram and it's just like i don't i, I, don't, I don't know i don't know I got, you know i don't have like a a, a thing to go to mm. you know and i think it, it's easy if you have a, a partner then you're like okay we'll just hang out we'll like netflix and chill or whatever you do yeah. but if you don't i think it i could imagine for a lot of people that would be like in moments like devastatingly challenging and for some people are maybe really like like the lone wolf type thing but yeah. let's be honest. I don't think everybody likes the lone wolf. Not all thing. the time. No, it's it's good for a little bit. But what I've heard is it 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 does get lonely. I mean, you know, just thinking back to when my dad was, you know, he had lost his mom or he had lost his wife and he had lost his his brother. The entire community kind of like shunned him because in that part of you know, as an Indian man without his wife kind of like oh how do we even relate and it was very very tough he went into deep deep depression so I totally know exactly what you were talking about and and luckily of course then he had me and I kind of fully stepped up and I was having people over and you know it just and and and, and it's one of the reasons why I talk about in the book how to create your soul support posse your SSP and your SSP could obviously be one of the greatest things that you could actually do for yourself but you going first so you sharing like well I don't know about anybody's social calendar like how do I even do that well I there's a whole you know in in the third part of the book where we go into the five steps of fly forward there's the magnify stage and and that's the fourth step to flying forward but to be able to reach out and maybe create opportunities and maybe you're going first and you're saying okay, maybe I'll host a dinner at my place once a month. Get two or three guys in the beginning. It doesn't even need to. I think I say make it a max of eight people. You don't want to get it too big, but you want it to, and some people, maybe it's like two or three people at, at, at most. And that's a beautiful container to start and then have an intention. How long do you want to have this gathering for? Is it one hour? Is it two hours? Is it 90 minutes? You can do it, of course, at, you know, a, 
at a restaurant, but I think there's something where a shared meal collaboratively together with like-minded people who probably also go to yoga or also are, you know, movement related, you can actually bring them into a container where it's safe, where people can you know hang out which is why you 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 know you always come to our family gatherings as well we love doing that well mm. it's something that i've honestly done and started when i was 16 years old mm. trying to bring everyone together to actually see a smile on my dad's face mm. i mean this is literally coming full circle um it's why i'm so you know passionate about uh you know creating your own ssp and it doesn't have to be big. It could be. It could start with a few, a, a few people. I think that, you know, what I've gathered and tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but with guys, it's just it's it's the matter of somebody's got to take initiative, mm-hmm. and it's so easy for you to lean on your partner to then do that. Like Ajit was always kind of like, okay, yeah, you're gonna bring everyone together, and I'm like, well, what about you? <laughs> who who are, are what about you? You know, don't you think that are there other people that you want to get to know? Guys are more more thing based. I think women are more people based. Correct. So yeah. guys, like if I if I hang out with the bros, we're usually uh, training. Maybe we'd go do you know whatever you play golf or go you know something. But we're like we're doing something. Yes, it's a, it's, it's a, a doing it's like, thing. It's an activity. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? Like that's yeah. what we're, what are we doing here? Oh, we're yeah. doing a thing, and we get to naturally kind of effuse whatever we do during that activity. Whereas I think that a feminine person, which would typically be a biological female, but doesn't need to be, is is they have a natural leaning towards people, which is really quite sweet. And that's why I think that that both men and women or masculine and feminine have so much to learn from each other. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But if we wanted to change the conversation and challenging anyone that's listening to this or watching to this and and to lean into these emotions and lean into uh, our own journey of healing. I think that could be a really uh, interesting experiment to try to see, okay, well, if I usually connect with my guys at the gym or wherever or doing a, you know, uh, doing a, a thing together, what if what if we actually just had a couple of people? over or do at an a ugly face cry session <laughs> do not, 20 do not minutes bro cry. you and me we're <laughs> gonna hit it hard it. oh my gosh i want to see i want to hear it i, I totally want to hear it how does a, a woman in in the, in the now where i feel like one of the the trends has been like the boss babe mm. i got this mm. i don't need no mans oh wow how does a, I think a part of that, it could be a lot of things. It's not what you do. It's what's behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does a woman that perhaps is masking something or not maybe perhaps like trusting herself or trusting like her softness or trusting like those, those more vulnerable layers, Yeah. how does a woman start to, to, uh, unpack that for themselves to be able to come back into a place of trusting their softness? Oh yeah, that was, that was that journey for myself the seven years after my big divorce. I had to ask for help. That was the first step. And allowing other people to mother me, allowing professional help, so coaches, healers, teachers, advisors, consultants. And and this was throughout, like in my business setting, in my friend setting, and allowing me to get back into the things that, and, and rediscover 
what that meant to feel soft. And, and, and I think that for, you know, any woman who's had this facade of masculine, cause I definitely was, was in that for a very long time and I can go back and forth, but now I feel like I have way more of an integrated approach, maybe because I've become a mom and that's, that's definitely been a huge part of it. And it reminds me of the story of when I was actually pregnant with our son, I was so in, I was, you know, I, I, we had, we had this long birthing process that didn't go as planned. Well, that's not now what, and I talk about it in the book in the afterward, but, um, to come to a place where I was, I couldn't do anything for anyone anymore. And I think with, for a lot of masculine women who have, had Harnocks or who've had really, you know, different situations, maybe unprocessed trauma or the big T, little T traumas that we're walking around with, or maybe have had a few setback circumstances, not being able to trust their partners or not being able to trust even themselves. It is that vulnerability. It is that practice to say, okay, I'm going to create small steps and small instances where I'm going to try again, where I'm going to open my heart again, where I'm going to soften up again, because, and, you know, we're going to be doing this in relationship. And, and the only way that I can do that is, hey, if I want to be with somebody who is also going to match me and, 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 you know, it's so easy to say, I've got it all. I've got it all. Right. And it's so easy to be a solopreneur. And it's so easy to say, okay, everyone's going to fail me. Therefore, I can't trust anyone but trust myself. Well, you're doing yourself the greatest disservice because that's how we learn. It's how we learn in our communication. It's how we learn in our leadership. And it all takes the ability to start to crack open and say, you know, those three words, I, you know, I need help. And I think also, and and I remember this vividly, I was in my, you know, crazy postpartum time and uh, it was three months postpartum and I remember my mother-in-law was here from India and all she was doing was she was giving me all these Vedic recipes and Ayurvedic like massages and treatments and I know for the longest time I was like, I don't need anybody, I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And that was me totally like, you know, just like getting into my full masculine, I was getting angry and I was getting irate that this poor woman who came from India just wanted to help her her daughter-in-law. I needed to be mothered. I did not need to get into my masculine to try to be that good Indian daughter to try to help her and everyone else. And it was because I couldn't receive. It was so hard for me to receive and I needed to break that down. Well, what is that really? Well, I needed to break down. Well, am I worthy of receiving this love? Because I haven't had that in that way from another mother in years, like two decades. And I needed to actually say, oh, what's beneath all of that? Am I worthy of love? Am I going to be abandoned if I let somebody come into my realm again and they are going to let me down? I needed to be okay with those two very big wounds, abandonment and my own worthiness. And I think for a lot of women who stuck in the masculine, this is what happens. 
We think we can't trust anybody else. We have to do it all on our own. We think we're going to get let down. And you know what? You might. You might. If you're building a business and you're trying to do these big things, people are going to let you down. That's part and parcel of that. But it's also how can we grow and communicate and lean into some of these hard conversations that we're probably not having because either we're a people pleaser or we just think that, oh, they're not going to be able to do it anyway, so let me just do it all on our own. Well, if we take the extra moment or take the extra time to soften our approach, noticing that we're just as human as the other person on the other side, we can learn so much and we could probably eventually let our guard down, but we've got to make peace with what are the, what's the actual underbelly that we're trying to hide as a masculine boss babe woman. Yeah. One of the things that comes up with that is um, something else I've heard from somebody else was if you want someone to be trustworthy, you need to trust them. And I, I think that <laughs> it's very true. I think that oftentimes we can be actually manipulative of each other um, because we're perpetuating these deeply harbored beliefs and we end up actually there's a, a, a psychological term for it called the pygmalion effect mm -hmm. where we're like painting our beliefs upon a person and it's kind of we're, 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 we're kind of orchestrating them in a way and if when someone feels uh, like, whoa, like, I think that probably happens with a child. Probably that's that would be a common thing. The child's forced to trust you in a way, maybe not forced, but it's just natural. It's natural. Yeah. And yeah. so within that, I, I'd imagine that could be perhaps why so many parents, that's like one of the biggest shifting points in their lives. Oh, it's, it's, it's huge. And, you know, to your point about, um, we make meaning and we make, you know, the stories in our head about other people. And, you know, if they show us how they really are, well, we have two choices. Do we believe who they are in the moment or do they, do we also believe that, you know, there is that capacity for stretching ourselves in, in how we want to show up for them as well. Mm. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's really big because it's, it requires us to also take personal responsibility as well because people are just mirrors of us. If we're also attracting somebody that needs to teach us more to trust ourselves, well, maybe we are going to have an emotionally unavailable person kind yeah. of like I did in my very first, uh, you know, marriage. How much responsibility is appropriate in a relationship from each party? Oh, is it just a hundred percent, a hundred percent? Is it 60, 40? Is it total? Is it totally variable? Or is it sometimes like you are just this perfect beacon of light, and you brought an asshole into your life? <laughs> I I think there's definitely shared responsibility for sure, and you know, and and I talk about this in the book. You know, um, victimhood versus you know being a victim of a circumstance, right? And I am very cautious usually when I'm when I'm on a specific podcasts talking about domestic violence because that's, you know, I was, I was in one of those situations yet that wasn't my identity. I didn't allow that to be my story. I didn't allow that to be my, uh, my full identity there because I needed to take responsibility for how I was also in that relationship, mm. how I also did not have processed trauma. I was trying to put it all on someone else to help me process all of the things. And in fact, 
it just started to come up to the surface and boil over to the top. But that's everything that we needed, that I needed to really remember who I was at my core and to really know, oh, okay, I was just wanting to create a family that I lost, my own wounding. Oh, I hadn't processed that because I was in such survival mode for the longest time in my teens. Okay, so can you look and 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 see and in both parties because it's so easy to point fingers and you know we do the Gottman Institute the four horsemen right we stonewall we defend we criticize and disgust and <laughs> what's the other one that's the other one the, yeah the disgust or yeah. the contempt the contempt right and and it comes up in friendships you know closest friendships it comes up in our family relationships it's how we process conflict and conflict is a great thing, but we have to be open to seeing, well, okay, why do I stonewall? Why do I go into criticism mode? Am I trying to control the other person? Okay, if I'm trying to control the other person, why can't I control myself? Mm -hmm. Or do I, you know, and there's that self inquiry. So I wouldn't even put a number on it, but I think it's safe to say that both parties need to actually take personal responsibility for how they are showing up in relationship. And if you're listening to this and, you know, something is interesting or even triggering for you, I'd invite you to sit with that and, and, and think, okay, well, where, where have I not taken personal responsibility and where am I just shoving it on the other person? Because, I've also attracted you in my life for a reason. I created you. Yeah. In my creation. I, I also Not in a narcissistic you. way, but like, you know. Absol- it's, absolutely, it's there. It's, but that was, I was just reading Danielle Laporte's mm-hmm. most recent book. It's called um, like Opening to Love or something, something like that. Yes. I yeah. have her coming on um, next month. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, she's good. And in there, it, it wasn't exactly this, but it's something along the lines of, of when good, fortunate things happen in our, in our life, it's like, Look what I created. I attracted it. Law of attraction. You know, but then when something shitty happens, it's like, oh, this happened to me. This happened to me. Yeah. It's going to victim viral. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, cool. Like I I garner all the wins. (laughs) That was me. I did that. Just so you know. Proud of that. Yeah. But then when you get a shit storm, you're like, oh yeah, that came from somewhere out there. You know, and it's it I think that it's it's the same thing of being excessively attached to the ups and the downs and the joys and the sorrows and all of that. I think it's a, it's a, there's a, a deeper path of being open to, to all of it. And there's, I think, great sensation of, of um, sovereignty and contentment that can come from actually leaning into responsibility. Because if you're responsible, then you're able to respond. It's like, cool, like I've got, I've got power. Mm-hmm. But that it can it can be, I think, very attractive to shift responsibility because, um, yeah, I guess it's because at that point it's it's kind of like uh, why why do people why do people do that? Is it is it so it's well, it's the it's a, ego. The ego wants to protect ourselves. We don't want to be wrong, mm-hmm. right? It's like I want to be a I'm a good boy. I'm a good I'm a good girl. It goes back. It's happened into, to me. Yeah, it goes back to our three year old self. Yeah. This happened to me. I, I had no place in that. Yeah. But in every action, every situation, right? I, I think that we we attract what we need to learn, yeah. good and or bad, whether we accept it or not. And if we if we resist it, then it'll continue to show up in other ways. What you resist persists. Mm. 
Well, thank you so much. I so enjoy our friendship. And I so enjoy, I'm grateful to have learned so much more about you through your book. Mm. And I'm grateful for you to have um, taken the lessons that you've had, very challenging lessons that you've had from your life and transform them into something meaningful for other people. Um, And where should people go? Grab the book. Yes, grab the book. That sucked. Now what? Grab it on Amazon. Grab it on thatsuckednowwhat.com. Super easy. You can actually get the uh, guidebook that I talked about as well. It comes for free. Um, Yeah, as well as other amazing goodies. But thatsuckednowwhat.com. It's officially out. Cool. And the social media? Oh, yes. And... Absolutely. If you're going to create a little circle gathering, people coming over, using Aaron as one of your expanders, go ahead and hit me up on Instagram at Neetha Bushin. And uh, and I've had Aaron on our podcast as well. Mm. You can find our little jabber mm. uh, on the brave table. Make sure yeah. to invite me because I'm, I'm cold, afraid, and alone. <laughs> yes, that's right. Very minimal social life. We're going to change that now. Let's do this. This is this is this is where it changes today. We got this. Oh, we do. All right. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I want to thank y'all for leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank particularly Miss Demeanor uh, Twenty Seven. It says Yogi slash fellow body worker, human approved. Aaron's vulnerability and willingness to share his softness in a realistic and accessible way makes his podcast enjoyable. He breaks content down in a way that is interesting, honest, and understandable. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank you guys for leaving us reviews. Thanks for sharing this. If you want to tag myself, you can tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag uh, Nita at Nita Bushan. And uh, that's it. Appreciate you. I'll see you next week.